out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed, we are. Hello and welcome to the C86 show. This is David Eastor. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the Norwich-based band Ivy. They who are on... Um, I do believe it was Sarah Records, and I will just check. I should have done this before. Yes, they were also on Noisebox Records from Norwich. So, yes, this is an interview that I did with the singer-songwriter Spencer Harrison very recently to find out more about life, love, and poetry. And um, she is still creating music as the NR2 project. Or NR2, yes. Anyway, I think you can find some more information on her Facebook page. But anyway, after a bit of casual chat, we got down to the exciting subject that was record labels and also the excitement of being on Sarah Records, which has, over the years, has grown in stature. And this was Spencer's response. Spencer, it's over to you. There's loads. Um, I'm in the Facebook feeds. There seems to be something happening every day. People unearthing records and fanzines and things like that. So I've noticed it's it's um, it is definitely increasing. All the the kind of references to Sarah definitely. And um, just the other day, um, well, it was Pete Morgan who um, had Noisebox, and we were we were rehearsing at his studios, and then we had our uh, you know, we first released um, our output in Ivy was through Pete Morgan, and he was actually he was actually our drum machinist <laughs> at the time as well. And he'd retweeted something that Sarah had said, um, oh. which I I don't think I'd even seen it to be honest. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. so that had just come a couple of days. That was just literally a couple of days ago. So I sort of leapt on that and thought, oh, I'll put my um, lockdown lament song on on the back of that tweet, you know, just hoping a few more people will watch it, kind of thing, you know. Well, absolutely, but... <laughs> yes. Well, but, you know, it is. You know, people are very interested in it all, and um, yeah, I mean, and and everyone is still doing it as we speak, you know, musically. That's quite an interesting sort of uh, how many people are still sort of you know set up their sort of home recording studios and, and are out there sort of um, making the next single, etc. So, yes, it's all very exciting. So, look, what's always kind of interesting and slightly curious is, um, yeah, what was, what you know, your own sort of musical world and path? Because without giving too much away, I'm born, yes, in the mid-60s, so I'm now in my mid-50s. So, you know, I suppose my formative years were the early 70s when there were bands like, you know, the glam bands, which are all pretty obvious, like Sweet yeah. and Gary Glitter, obviously, um, T-Rex, and then... Um, Thankfully, David Bowie was my first love and first single, so that, that was quite a relief rather than Touch Me by, David, uh, by Gary Glitter. So what was your kind of early musical kind of uh, world and, and how did that start to develop? Well, um, I suppose it started through sort of um, playing instruments, really. That's kind of, um, that was that was my musical background. I mean, my dad in the family was, was a massive fan of... Um, Black Forest brass bands, um, which so like my earliest memories are real, you know, umpire music, I yes. suppose you call it. And um, and he he was he could see um, I had a bit of musical talent, 
um I don't know how that manifested itself I think I just he he was in a oh gosh he was in a he was a piano accordion player and he was in these kind of Glenn Miller type swing bands. And um, I just used to love listening to him playing. You know, it sounds quite, you know, you know, you have rose tinted spectacles, but I can remember like dancing round in the garden while he played his piano accordion. And um, I just always wanted to sort of play a musical instrument. So, you know, we looked at that together, me and my dad and, um, the brass band, this is, um, I was from Market Raisin in Lincolnshire, no one's ever heard of it, but we, th- there was actually a brass band in Market Raisin and um, they needed a second trombone player. So my dad was like, okay, well, you know, you, you, he, he seemed to think I'd have a good, um, so, you know, sort of hearing, like, like um, oh, you know, when you, you're not sort of actually physically playing a note like on the guitar but you've got to listen like for violin or trombone you've got to kind of like listen for where the tuning goes of the instrument and um he said yeah yeah that'd be a really good match and I had lessons and I was second trombone in the market race and brass band until I was yeah till I was 18 till I went off to uni god that's impressive I was I was listening to to be honest with you I mean I I, I, you know, hearing your story through like pop and, and the pop world and everything, it wasn't, that wasn't my immediate go-to for music at all. It was more, I suppose, orchestral and, um, you know, sort of, ba- you know, sort of the brass band music. The brass band, um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I suppose, <laughs> but but it's interesting because you didn't, you didn't obviously kind of rebel because my parents had kind of a bit of a country taste and you know though everyone thinks country is quite cool now the country I mean god this sounds terrible but they had some terrible records actually there was Jim Reeves <laughs> Boxcar Willie you know the the oh, kind of quite yeah. tea twee no, yeah I know I shouldn't say twee should I be <laughs> thinking of a certain record label but you know it was kind of the country that wasn't you know it wasn't Waylon Jennings or Johnny Cash particularly it was kind of Yes, yeah. I'm still slightly disturbed by the the thought of Boxcar Willie really and his whistling. So, um, yes. So, <laughs> so when did so did Top of the Pops on a Thursday at seven o'clock sort of enter into the living room? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and it was kind of like a family thing, but usually with my dad moaning about you know yes. like excesses of the music industry as he saw it, and um, yeah. I suppose I was listening to, at that point in the 70s, I was a massive David Cassidy fan. Um, And I think he wrote some really well-crafted songs. Actually, I'm not sure if he did write his own songs. That's an interesting point, actually. Yes. I don't don't know. But I do do have a slight... soft spot for a song that he does can i be sure or something like that oh, how can yeah, i be sure yeah. and how it was um beautiful song i mean yeah. it was it was kind of yeah i can remember feeling quite envious really because obviously everyone loved david cassidy or donny osman and um and being english and from east anglia you know i mean you, those teeth they just gave you envy didn't they really for <laughs> yeah. it was just like yeah you know, you're right there though at school there was a kind of like you know where you went to Donny Osmond or David Cassidy and um you know I was you know in the Partridge family you know that single I think I love you with the family and lots of harmonies and 
Oh, and um, yeah, alongside that, I'm sort of remembering everything now. Gosh, I never revisit these um, <laughs> memories. Um, I was, so I'd be at school sort of like year 11, sixth form. Um, it, you know, it was called something different then, wasn't it? But anyway, um, I was in a folk band but and I taught myself how to play guitar completely forgotten that so I think my I live with my granddad and he came home with a guitar it was almost like my family was sort of thrusting instruments at me do you know what I mean it's like yes. oh you know she can learn this she can learn that and um so he came home with a guitar that he got secondhand so I just taught myself to play really badly and then a sort of you know a way to sort of explore that we had all these folk bands at school and we were quite competitive you know like um we'd sort of have these concerts and you know you'd want to sort of get the biggest applause from the audience from your you know covered folk song and I can't remember anything we did now yes. um, I remember somebody doing the theme from MASH but I don't remember oh I think I wrote a song at that stage yeah I I had started about uh I don't know, 15, 16, was I? I don't know. But anyway, I had started to kind of like, you but, know. But, but, in the, but during that time, you know, mm. I know there had been punk, but when you're quite young, punk slightly sort of, let's be honest, you sort of missed it really because you couldn't just go and listen to it on, you know, I don't know, mm. iTunes or sort of Spotify. I mean, it was, it was, kind, of hard, it was kind of hard to get music. And, and the, so the charts, it was kind of the charts of nothing, you know. Yeah. In, in reality, yeah. And, and at that stage, you know, we had people like Steely span doing all around my hat which got to number yeah. one which was kind of it was in your face wasn't it for months as, yeah. as well as people like yeah. the early Kate Bush which kind of kind of was it split people's you know sort of you either loved her or hated her I mean I know everyone loves Kate Bush now but I mean you know it wasn't it wasn't instantly like wow Kate Bush but it was interesting because we did have at that stage there was a TV series wasn't there Esther Ransom with a, a program called The Big Time so there was kind of and that was kind of the mid 70s I believe that was when Sheena Easton sort of was on it and sort of became this kind of young girl who came from the factories to this kind of um, almost a pop rock um, megastar with Prince many decades later but but it was kind of interesting even in those days there was kind of a certain competition I mean it wasn't quite as blatant as the X Factor but it's um there were certainly kind of people aspiring to to perform and, and enter competitions Yes, yeah, true, yeah. I do vaguely remember that. I mean, I, I, I do have very clear memories of watching Top of the Pops and um, it, it was kind of something I never really missed throughout my life, to be honest with you. I mean, at one point in my career, um, I was a dance teacher at Blythe Jack School. Um, I think it's called Sewell Park now. And um, when I first got the job, you know, I remember referencing at the interview I was referencing all these kind of dances I'd seen on top of the pops it, and I remember it, it was a real reference point for me do you know yes. what I mean Pan's um, people Pan's people yeah. were such an important part of our lives and all the kind of um you know as as you know the videos evolved and you know sort of the technology progressed and all the rest of it the kind of videos that sort of um you know referenced um you know all the the, the dancing and everything it was i suppose yes. i suppose like running up that hill because you you've mentioned Kate Bush and I'm an enormous Kate Bush fan i mean like I absolutely, you know, love Kate Bush and um, seeing running up that hill, you know, with the with the contemporary dance that she was doing, it kind of set me off on a, a lifetime passion of, of dance, you know, yes. as well. 
So. Well, she she was such a sort of it was kind of inspiration and you know like oh. dance yeah. and music. But there was one ta- uh, I was either the pans pans was it pans people or what was the what Ruby did the there was Ruby Flipper pans people hot gossip was hot another gossip one. that was the two yeah. wasn't there there was a yeah. classic they did one classic one where they sort of it, the song reference about get down dog or get down boy I think it must have been and so they had a lot of dogs there sort of looking very confused with these half naked <laughs> women waving their <laughs> yeah. finger to them which I thought yeah. there was some there were some really great sort of uh, artistic interpretations of what they what they thought the song might have been about quite literally about a dog being taught how to sit down but that was good so look so 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 in the 80s that was a kind yeah. of the, the decade then I sort of became much more obsessed with indie pop were you yes so what was what was the 80s like for you and and sort of that time gosh I wish I'd thought about all this before we spoke because <laughs> it's sort of like so um off the top of my head now and I'm gonna look back and think oh why didn't I mention that you know um well I um so went and um down to university in Southampton I suppose I discovered punk you know um that first term um so what year was this 80 80 I was in Southampton in 1980 we had the Gaumont Theatre and I've still got all my little ticket stubs I went to see every band um, and it was quite sort of nice, refined, you know, theatre. But I, I definitely saw The Stranglers there, Susie Sue. And then um, I saw her dancing in a nightclub after that um, particular gig at the Gaumont in Southampton. She was actually at the nightclub we'd all gone to afterwards. And I sort of caught a glimpse of her with a feather boa. <laughs> Excellent. You, you know, that was that was really where you know, I suppose, yeah, a, a, a real love of punk had, had sort of um, really kind of taken hold and I altered my appearance, you know, like you do. And yes, just absolutely. Really. And well, I, was, be, I mean, being, you were sort of almost the golden decade. Obviously, the 80s, 70s were good as well because you got a grant and you got your tuition fees. So basically, exactly. yeah, and, and you yeah. could literally miss the second year of study, couldn't you, just to sort of, you know, and catch up on the last <laughs> the last year. And they bobbed your uncle, really, wasn't it? Yeah. Two, yeah. Two, two, one, two, two, who cares? It yeah, was them, yeah, back of the net. Yeah. So were you, as a kind of, uh, yeah, I suppose at that point, you'd had that slight post-punk period, as well as the new romantic world of Soft Cell and Duran Duran and, and those bands. But you also had that kind of the Echo and the Bunnymen and you uh, too, and then sort of eighty three, eighty three to eighty seven, a great year for me, great period for music because that was when the Smiths kind of hit and and suddenly music yeah. changed completely. But that was your last year of uh, university. So w- were you beginning to get more interested in the little world that was jingly jangly pop? Yeah, I suppose. Um... As much as I, you know, I went, I, I love punk, you know, and I went to the Sheffield Punk Festival last year. I've actually bought a ticket for this year, but I'm guessing it's not going to be on. Mm. <laughs> but um, I, I suppose I was always, um, you know, looking back, what influenced me to want to kind of do music was the kind of post-punk. And um, so, like, bands that I would really, you know, like Prefab Sprout have been, you know, I just love Prefab Sprout, the way he, you know, um, writes lyrics and the way he kind of evokes um, emotions in his lyrics. Just incredible songwriter, Paddy McLoon. Um, Love Aztec Camera, really like Early Orange Juice. Um, Martin Stevenson and the Dainties, that's another another great love. So all of these, like, bands that were, were coming out 
like you say, the post-punk era, that's where, if I had to sort of say music was having its golden its golden years. And um, I think I might have um, texted you in the past and asked about a band called the Bodines. Oh, yes, uh, the Bodines. Yeah, yes. yeah, oh, yeah, the Bodines. Um, so, you know, and, and that was... Yeah, that that was kind of the, the the time at which. Oh, and then then uh, I was introduced to the Cocteau Twins, and thus began a lifelong love affair. <laughs> yes, the, ethereal, the ethereal pop sound that was the Cocteau yeah. Twins. Yeah, and interesting yeah. enough, because because a lot of those bands, because I've got I've got some great theories on music, but um, they're not that great actually. But they, most <laughs> bands have a five year narrative, and the Smiths really do epitomise that, don't they? You know, and in that in yeah. that period, especially the eighties, but possibly the 90s, as well but you know getting together you know make a bit of a sound John Peel giving it a sort of spin thinking oh this is quite interesting and quirky um, and then the John Peel session which is often really good and that kind of gives bands that extra kind of bit of excitement and thinking things are going well so we'll do an album and and also then getting picked up and kind of asked to play in various kind of art centres and little clubs and alternative nights and indie nights around the country which obviously is great to have the phone ring and sort of think oh someone wants to see us in Bristol or, or Glasgow yeah. or Manchester so yeah. that, that kind of helps but <laughs> But that was kind of very much that kind of musical period of the 80s. You know, things changed around 87. I know the Smiths break up, shock horror. But <laughs> then you had the ecstasy world that came in and, and sort of people were then looking for the next kind of musical kind of adventure, which was which is obviously there was a lot of kind of the you know, the primal scream, the stone roses and um, the mm. suit dragons who'd done the great crossover from indie to dance. If, you know, if you took enough drugs, probably. But um, yeah. so and the Happy Mondays as well did that as well. And so that, that was a kind of an exciting time. So as the 80s progressed and, and you'd sort of had your sort of exciting sort of jangly pop that was your orange juice and, and uh, Aztec Carol and Martin Stevenson. And the dainties. Did you did you also sort of creep into the world that was? I'm not saying did you take drugs. Obviously that would be shocking. <laughs> but did you uh, did you start sort of going? Oh look, we can dance all night with with just um. Not one. not really. No, I never really fully embraced that world. If I'm honest with you, I saw the Happy Mondays, and um, you know, you know that was kind of like a musical backdrop to my life at that time. But it never inspired me as much as um, you know. Um, the, the 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 kind of post punk kind of hurrah type bands that came out. If I'm being really honest, yes. uh, it was it was a don't get me wrong. Um, I saw quite a few bands at the waterfront during that time, and um, saw Primal Scream a couple of times. I believe that was the waterfront, and saw some fantastic gigs um, during that time. But it it was it was never going to be the the era that. Um, you know, for me, was my favourite era of music. Yes. Um, and I'm not like anti-dance or anything like that, but uh, it 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 just it just didn't have the ingredients that that I wanted for you know the the, the soundtrack for my life. If 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 you want to look at it like that, you know, if you if you think of your life as a as a sort of soundtrack. Um, yes. I was still. I mean, the the you've referenced the jingly jangly. Um, just something, um, I don't know if you're aware of a band called Shine that came out of King's Lynn. Yes. Uh, oh, you know them, brilliant. I mean, for me, because um, they're still tied up a little bit with Ivy because Paul Cater, who um, he played guitar in Ivy, he was in Shine before, um, before they broke up and he joined Ivy with his brother, Julian. 
And um, I just think they wrote the best euphoric love song ever. It's called Bite the Apple. And I always go on and on and on about it and kind of, you know, regularly repost it on things and say, this is the best euphoric love song ever. Um, it's just incredible. But I don't have a decent recording of it. So I think I've got it on a tape somewhere that I've kind of stood with a recorder, you know. Yes. Blimey. But, that's a, Yeah, because they were one of those bands that were often it seems like a lot but I'm not sure but there was a lot of posters but they were often at the wild club weren't they playing? yes they were a, they're a real wild club favorite yeah I mean, I saw them a couple of times you it, know because it was kind of it would have been hard not to have seen them really wasn't it yeah so yeah, when did you start to think actually I might want to get into music here um so um oh my goodness I'd always kind of been on the periphery of it because if I think about it um, I sort of think about my, you know, what I've done in music, as in where I've lived. So um, when I was at Southampton Uni, um, I was in a, a punk band called the Oil Rigs. I'm laughing because I, 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 I don't think we were terribly good, but we had, you know, we had a lot of heart. We played a lot of gigs. We really did a lot of gigs, and I'd started to write, um, you know, a lot of the songs. But we did some covers. One of my favourite punk bands, being into female vocals, was Penetration, Pauline Murray. Oh yes. So, yeah, we covered a couple of Penetration songs. Actually, I saw and met Pauline Murray um, at the Punk Festival last year. So that was like a, an amazing moment. She had such an influence on me. And I kind of, I'm aware that I did copy her voice a bit when I was singing back in the 80s, to be honest. But um, yeah, so um, yeah, that was a, the punk band. That was uni. And then um, I, my first teaching job, because I've been a teacher all my, um, you know, sort of career, I've taught for 30 years. And I, my first job was in Hastings and I was in another sort of punk, maybe post-punk band um, there, um, again, writing mm. songs. But not, nothing much survives from these eras because everything was on tapes, you know. Yes. And then, Moved to Norwich and oh, I met this incredible musician called Pete Edgerton, who was a, um, doing teacher's training. So I kind of met him through the teachery type world, you know, um, and he just had a, a voice like velvet. You know, he was an incredible singer, just wrote, penned the most incredibly beautiful, like achingly beautiful songs, I felt. And I just did a bit of backing. And um, we did some gigs. I think I remember doing one in the Bellevue of all places. Um, so we were sort of gigging around Norwich, but I was, you know, just doing backing and adding my female vocals because he had quite sort of like deep voice of the contrast, you know. Um, and that was a band I really enjoyed being in. And that was kind of, I suppose, the training ground for Ivy. Um, so how did Ivy start? I think... Yes, because this was kind of 92. So at that stage, yeah. we'd also had the great Seattle kind of rush and excitement, hadn't we? From, which was kind of 89 was when, I remember John Peel playing this, there was a compilation called Sub Pop 100. And that was like, wow, that's oh. interesting. And, there were, and, and Nirvana, Nirvana had the, the album Bleach out, which, which was obviously very exciting. And then, you know, Nevermind came out. Yeah. So there was that kind of period. But underneath that, 
kind of Seattle grunge sound. There was all these kind of other bands that had, you know, like the Sundays had just kind of formed when the indie oh, pop band. Yeah, so they the were Sundays. good. And then you had that North London scene of people like My Bloody Valentine, Silverfish, The Faith Healers, Carter, The Unstoppable Sex Machine. So there was mm-hmm. kind of another sort of scene that was going on, which was kind of, yeah. And then you obviously had Galaxy 500 and the shoegazing world that was slow dive as well. Yeah. So, yeah. so in the early 90s, as we truck into the next decade, God, this is exciting, isn't it? But we, <laughs> so, so did you start to think, um, oh, we could be in a band at this stage? Yeah, well, I suppose. Um, it, it, so I was, um, well, I was dating um, the brother of um, Paul Cater, um, ex-Shine. And, you know, we'd we just like talk for ages about, oh, you know, really like these musical in, uh, influences and this and that and the other. And um, we just talked about it all the time, you know, and there were other friends going, well, you know, just do it. Just just start a band. And um, I'd advertised. I was so obsessed by the Cocteau Twins and um, I'd. Uh, well, actually, no, I think I'd answered, answered an advert and they were looking for somebody and said, you know, we're heavily influenced by the Cocteau Twins. And I thought, well, this is a marriage made in heaven. And they gave me five tracks to put some vocals to. And um, <laughs> it's a quite a funny story, actually, because when I went back to them, I'd written all these songs and uh, Julian, my partner at the time, he he sort of got this eight track recording of them. And we were, you know, we were really pleased with them. We thought they were great. And we went back to the band and they said, oh, you make us sound too much like the Cocktoes. <laughs> so it was like, oh, OK. And then Julian sort of said, well, why don't we just form our own band, you know, um, get Paul on board. He's a really, really good guitarist. Um, we advertised for a bass player. We got Justin. Justin Rolfe came on board. But we didn't have a drummer at the beginning, hence Pete Morgan, Noisebox. He was providing sort of drum sounds. I think we toured with the wedding present without a drummer. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we didn't have a drummer because it was Davy Donnelly. Yeah. Who's quite a you know um, well well known figure around the, the the Norwich music scene? He became our drummer after the wedding present tour. But yeah, that's how we put the band together because another band rejected me. <laughs> <laughs> this is classic. Did there seem to be a bit of an excitement? Did you feel like there was something quite special? Oh, oh yeah, it was a the, like they say a buzz, don't they? They yes. say the buzz around it, and for the first time. Um, that I'd ever done, you know, music with other people that, 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 you know, where I was writing and all the rest of it, there, there's instantly seemed to be something very exciting about it. Um, I can't define it at all. I mean, John Peel did call me, um, twice, actually, he's called me twice. I've spoken to John Peel on the yes. phone, <laughs> um, uh, you know, and that, that was as a result of, we put our, so Wish You Would, which I suppose is our, our track that got played, we had um, a, a, there was four tracks on um, a 12 inch released through Noisebox. It was Us and Steerpike. I think the Lemon Growers. Uh, oh, forgive me. I can't remember the other band. And that's awful, isn't it? Because that's, that's really bad for me, not remembering. But there were four of us anyway. And it just got picked up by um, Joe Wiley and Steve Lamack. Uh-huh. Um, so it was played um, on the evening session, um, 
you know, quite a few times. Was it 20 odd times? And then I think as a result of that, John Peel heard it and sort of called up and said, oh, you know, when are you gigging? And I can't really remember the conversation. You know, you sort of think back and think, oh, I wish I could remember what we talked about. But, you know, I remember my mum answering the phone to him and saying, oh, somebody wants to talk to you. And I said, mum, that's that's (laughs) <laughs> but um yeah he, he called a couple of that which i've you know I, I i can always roll that one out at, yes at well absolutely the famous john peel yes because actually i've got the, i've got the famous book by michael white pop kiss the yeah, life yeah. the life and afterlife of sarah records which obviously does mention this kind of moment that john peel sort of phoned you and um so so at that stage you're and also supporting the wedding present he you know obviously they had george best the album in probably 1986, didn't they? So they were quite big. So there must have been, you were certainly on a roll at this stage because you hadn't been together that long. No, no, it it happened very, very quickly. Um, And we didn't really have enough songs at first. I mean, Wish You Would had come out of the kind of audition tape that I did for this band that didn't want me. So um, we then very, very quickly had to sort of, you know, how do we, you know, what is our writing style? How do we do this? And, uh, um, you know, I... I, I, (laughs) Well, I wasn't much of a guitarist and I still, I'm still not, you know, I can just about manage second rhythm guitar in a band, but nothing more than that. But I was just sort of um, writing through melodies, I suppose. And, um, and then when we got into the studio, could add lots of layers of vocals, you know, a la the cocktails and yes. sort of, you know, try and um, you know, have these sort of celestial, celestial choruses and things like that. But um yeah, um, we uh, didn't have many songs at all at the beginning. And we, we were asked to do um, the Maida Vale, um, you know, where you're called into Maida Vale to do, um, I can't think of, I can't think what it's called now, the, the session um, the, that's on. Oh, right, but is, this isn't a John Peel session. No, it was it was Steve, it was Steve Lamarck and Joe Wiley. Oh, right. They asked us to do that. I honestly can't think what it's called. Anyway, we were asked to do one of those and we had to sort of quickly sort out four songs that went on this, you know, um, recording session. And then then they played, you know, one track on Monday, one on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever. Um, so we did we did do that um, when and we got. And, and I was just going to say, I mean, at this I mean, obviously, this is quite early days. So had you, I mean, was this kind of, a, had this become a sort of a full-time occupation at this stage or was you, were you still? No, not at all. No, I was a head of RE in a high school, believe it or not. And um, I had to go to my head and he was very bemused. And I said, I've, I'm, I've got to ask for some time off to go on a tour with a band called The Wedding Present. He was quite old school. He was in his 60s, bless him. And he didn't know who The Wedding Present was. And he didn't know I was in a band. And he didn't understand the whole concept of of it all. And he just said, well, can I have one of your records? And I said, yeah, okay. He said, yeah, I'll let you have some time off. Excellent. Do your tour. Um, So, you know, even that was quite a nice memory, you know. But I was, yeah, teaching um, throughout the whole thing, um, let's see, Julian work at stationary office, Paul's with highways, Justin, um, work for MAP, um, 
Davy, when he came along later on, he was the only one who's made a living from being a professional musician. The rest of us are all just amateurs, you know, sort of with with day jobs, you know. Right. So you, yeah, because it's it's interesting. I was talking to Amelia and her chap. Um, I think his name's Paul. I can't remember. Um, but they they never gave up. You know, their other. You know, the, the sort of the day. The, what their their sort of what they were doing during the day, which was yeah. sometimes academia and lecturing and stuff. She's like, a lecturer, isn't she? She is yeah. a lecturer, but, and, and did the music with as much passion in the evening, and and has managed to keep that going to to this very day. In fact, so it's kind of interesting that quite a few people, because she could never work out how you would be able to. Um, do that you know literally be full-time and you thought yeah I mean and that that was kind of uh I suppose Tallulah Gosh and Heavenly really so so yeah, yeah a lot of people do sort of keep the day job so then yeah so so obviously getting in the recording studio was a good experience yeah yeah oh yeah definitely and you know going down to London to do that you know my first question was has Liz Fraser sung into this mic? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and and uh, the, the the guy just said, everyone has sung into that mic. So I was like, wow, you know, that's amazing. Um, but yeah, it, it was a really, it, it was an amazing time. You know, it really was incredible. And, um, you know, um, it's, it's interesting reflecting back on it. I haven't sort of um, revisited these memories um, for a long time, really. Well, you know. quite. So then, how did how did the Sarah Records um, sort of connection and and contact come about? Do you know, I'm going to be absolutely honest with you. I honestly can't remember. I honestly, whether they heard um, "Wish You Would" and contacted Pete because Pete was managing us on Noisebox at the time, but Sarah wanted to fund an album. Um, so they must have they must have got in touch with Pete after hearing us on the Radio One evening sessions. I can only think, um, and I apologise if that's wrong. Yes. Um, members of Ivy that have <laughs> have, you know, I'm sure Julian would would remember this better a lot better than I would. But um, yeah, so um, we only met them once when we supported the wedding present at the Astoria. Yeah. Um, and uh, we, we were about to walk past them and, 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 and they were like, hi. And I was like, hi. And said, we're your record label, <laughs> you know, Mads and Claire. They were really lovely. We, we sat and watched a wedding present with them. They were really, really nice. And, um, you know, it was really nice to have that kind of backing and validation from a label that I really admired, you know, and, and um, you know, found very inspirational. So, so that was incredible as well. Yes, well, absolutely, and and also at that stage they were sort of developing their, I suppose, the label really. And at the, but at the same time, Sarah Records used to get so much kind of grief, didn't they, from the uh, music papers? Yeah, yeah, it's just unfair, isn't it? It's like yes. um, I remember we got we actually we got a review, and was it the singer of Therapy with an exclamation point at the end? Um, he absolutely hated um, our follow-up single to Wish You Would. And um, he, he he really slated it. And, uh, you know, whether or not, you know, the record label had some... I'm, I, I wish I'd kept the review now. It probably is in an attic somewhere up there. But um, 
it, it was something about, oh, you know, the singer should be put to death and, you know, this record label. But there are others in the office who think it's, you know, do you know what I mean? It was, there was, there was a backlash even, you know, that I, that I read about, you yes. know. Um, uh, there was there was a lot of kind of um, yes, there was a lot of grief, wasn't there? I can yeah, I can sort of remember. Yeah. But then you know, but interestingly enough, because there was the film that came out a few years ago, and then the book as well on Sarah Records, and then people have sort of gone back to it. I mean, basically, it's lasted longer than the NME, really, hasn't it? So there you go. Yeah. Who's the loser? Yeah. So yes. <laughs> anyway, so look, with most bands, like I said, they have a bizarrely they have this very sharp five-year narrative, you know, with a few singles and an album. So how did you, you all, you know, and you were going through the '90s here, the John Major years, in fact. How did yeah. that uh, and into Britpop? So do, were you at all thinking? Interesting. We our timing is brilliant here. Did did the, did the the sort of fashion of the music world at all come into your orbit? Um, not really for me. I, probably for the other members of the band who were more aware of what was going on. I was sort of stuck in my little world of oh, you know, I want to do swirling vocals and have sixteen tracks recorded of my of my vocals with harmonies and all the rest of it. And I, I didn't sort of. Um, you know, pop my head above the parapet of that, really. That was kind of where my head was at. Um, and I suppose it, it I suppose it led to sort of interesting influences from everybody in the band, really, because um, you know, uh I, I know Julian was very aware of the scene around us. Um, because we did have we did have the the melody maker phoned us up for an interview, and I really didn't want to do it. I wanted another member of the band stood they're like no you're the singer you've got to do it you've got to do it and Julian was writing me all these sound bites you know for the for the melody maker um because I really I didn't have a lot of cultural awareness of the of the the music scene at that time because I was like I say I was stuck in my little world of ethereal pop you know um but mm. <laughs> well, well it's, yes, I mean it is kind of it is quite unfair, really, isn't it? When you're sort of not quite sure what what some smart-ass journalist is trying to sort of yes do, and if they're going to do a bit of a nasty job, because yeah, yeah so you you did some singles on Sarah Records, which were yeah. um, which obviously went down well because it was kind of the label. And did you get to sort of feel like you were part of any kind of um, collective or? community on Sarah Records did it have that sort of feeling or was it just a kind of a bit of a blur at the time well I'd say if if I felt part of any scene it was the Norwich music scene so um Barry Newman um you know um the, the Wild Club obviously and with somebody called Ollie as well who I've not thought about for ages because it was always um, Barry and Ollie yeah. um but but obviously um I still see see Barry around, you know, but we were very much, you know, in his um, domain, you know. Um, we were an art centre band through and through. We did our first gig there um, and our, our last gig, actually, um, which was a reunion um, in uh, 2006. So it, it had that nice sense of, um, you know, uh, continuity to it, I suppose. We started and, and ended at the Arts Centre. I never felt like we were part of a Sarah Records community because we didn't do any tours with Sarah bands. And so we just met them once and that was very much as a backing to the wedding present. Um, but in terms of 
um, you know, who was around? Yogurt Belly were around, um, Steer Pike. Yes. Oh, an incredible band called um, Spellbound. I don't know if you've come across them. Um, I was quite friendly with with one of them. Um, they did a single called Holly Go Lightly. Oh, it was just beautiful, absolutely stunning. So I was I was really into the Norwich music scene, going to gigs all the time, you know, sort of supporting other local musicians and seeing, you know, what, what we had in Norwich. Because I suppose, I mean, you've referenced um, about day jobs and things. There was no way we were ever going to be one of those bands moving to London to trying to, you know, yes. a, um, an existence through music. You know, we all had mortgages, you know. <laughs> it was really boring, um, you know. Yes. Um, so you I, did. So you did two singles on Sarah. You did Avenge and then Wish You Would. would. But, Avenge, but then yeah. you you then sort of did the album with um, on Noisebox in the absence of Angels, didn't you? Yes, that was noise box, wasn't it? Yeah, you're right. You see, I'd even forgotten that detail. I do apologise. <laughs> I'd, I'd forgotten that we'd gone back to noise box to do that because, yeah, we recorded it at um, Purple Rain in Great Yarmouth, but I think that's moved now. I think that's moved closer to Norwich. Yes. So, um, what was your? I mean, at that stage, because this was '86, still the John Major years. But did you, did, when you were <laughs> recording it, did you feel that? Um, did it have that sense that you were going to break up after the album or were you just kind of just seeing how it went? Oh, gosh. Um, it would be always, it's always nice to think, you know, it would have been nice to think that, um, you know, we could have gone somewhere with it. That would have been amazing. Um, I do have a very clear memory of, um, uh, I used to live on a house around the corner, Whitehall Road, um, and um, I'd, got, I'd got home from work, say I was a head of RE, so very responsible job um, at a school in Beckles. And I got home and my lodger was there, um, a lady called Isabel, and she said, you've been played on the radio again, Spencer. She said, that's every night this week. She said, what's happening? Well, you know, she was, you know, and I was like, oh, gosh, I, I, you know, and you just get home with a load of marking, you know, and you're sort of like, oh, is this real? It, it was a very surreal, um, a very surreal moment that, that really sticks in my mind. And that was really the only time I kind of questioned, I suppose, whether something could have happened with it or not. But but then, you know, talking to the band members um, nobody would have been prepared to, to to really go for it in the way that you know bands probably had to. Yeah. Uh, so, 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 with the so when you were doing it, because I know there's a few a few of the singles you did on Sarah, which are always also on the album. Did it? Had you decided that it was going to be the album, and then you were just going to the band would finish after that? Oh gosh, you see now my memory gets really hazy. Um, so um, we did the album. We were still gigging a lot. Um, you see, the end of the band, it's it's really not very clear in my memory. Um, <laughs> Cause, cause, I'm cause, sorry cause... about that. It sounds terrible, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> I know we were having a few musical differences. Um, and, you know, it came down to, and this, this is going to sound pathetic, but it came down to sort of like, 
days we wanted to rehearse on you know we were arguing about that I seem to remember at the time like the 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 day that we would all rehearse I think it had always been a Sunday um and it might have been me who was being really objectionable about it I can't remember to be honest with you um and uh, oh I don't know we'd you know relationships we had our sort of Fleetwood Mac moment oh excellent (laughs) you've got a Fleetwood Mac moment in this Fleetwood Mac moment within the band well yeah um oh gosh he'd probably hate me saying all this I don't want to sort of like get into (laughs) trouble but um yeah obviously I started the band with somebody that I was you know in a in a romantic relationship with and that ended you see um and we still wanted to do the band, but it, it became a bit Fleetwood Mac-ish, I suppose, because, you know, there's two people who were dating who weren't anymore, you know. Um, so that that was all part of it, oh I God, suppose. God, you were doing a, a Stevie Nicks and Lindsay Buckingham. This is excellent. I hope I'm not speaking out of turn. No, no, I mean, it's a long time ago. anybody and, you know, because I don't want to speak no, to anybody. No, no, heaven forbid. Thing. But no, but uh, yes, anything. <laughs> oh, so there was, there was kind of, yeah. There was that, yeah. And I, I suppose, um, like, how old was I then? Because, I mean, I was sort of, you know, pushing it a bit when we started Ivy, really. I mean... I was in my 30s and um, sort of like later 30s, no, mid 30s, it was mid 30s when it all sort of um, fell apart a bit. Um, And then Julian and I, who, you know, had been my partner, we were still very good friends and um, we wanted to put something together that was a lot more indie. Um, So Julian recruited Tim again from Shine, from Kings Lynn, um, who came along to play bass. And we, out of Ivy, after the ashes of Ivy, we created a band called Doolittle, which is really, really indie, very Mazzy Star, very, you know, um, ethereal indie, much more so than Ivy, which had become a little bit poppy, to be honest with you. Um, Or certainly, you know, the the later singles or the later outputs. Um, So that was kind of my memory of it, sort of it evolving into something else. Um, there was never a sort of final moment either, which is a bit frustrating, isn't it? Because you yes. like to remember these things neatly. But then um, when obviously we were we were sort of doing gigs with Doolittle again at the Arts Centre and I became pregnant and that pretty much put put paid to everything then. You know, it just everything became about that then, you know, um, I didn't, I didn't really do anything for a long time after that. <laughs> that was it. The music, yeah. con- the, the music finished in about 1996, 97. Yes. Yeah. That sounds about right. Blimey. Yeah. Because I was, yeah, 35 when I had my first child and, um, yeah. So we'd, we'd stop gigging sort of just, just prior to that. But yeah, I'm sorry, I can't re- remember it better. I mean, yes. no, no, that, that, that's. I mean, it's a kind of long time ago. Sometimes people, people bizarrely, can remember these details quite well after three decades. I think it's still it, it cuts deep. But then you had a reunion. Uh, 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 was yes. it was it just a one-off gig? Well, there were there were two, but the the first one it was just incredible. It was just like it was um, two thousand and. Oh, was it five or six? Um, I think it was 2006, Norwich Arts Centre. 
And I want to say it was Barry, but I could be wrong, who wanted to put all the old Norwich bands together. And, um, oh, gosh, I think the Bardos were there, but I might be wrong about that because I, 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 I sort of knew Simon. I, I was living two doors down from Simon at one stage when we lived on Stafford Street. So I, I knew Simon Bardo at one stage and um, they might have been playing that. Anyway, my memory... It's terrible. Anyway, um, we were in the bar at the at the art centre at the end of the bar, and it was one of the best gigs we'd ever done. It was it was just unbelievable. Um, we had to get a new bass player. Justin, um, our um, bass player from Old Ivy, didn't want to take part. So there was a young man called Amy who was friends with Davy. So Davy got him involved, sort of recruited him, and I I played guitar in the um, the rejuvenated Ivy, I actually was on um, second guitar, which I found really exciting for some reason. I even play, played bass on one track. Excellent. <laughs> um, which I was really excited about. Uh, and it was just, it was, there was, you know, it, it wasn't like the band was ever going to go anywhere or have that buzz of the former, you know, years when we started. But it was just an incredible gig. I've, there's some excerpts on youtube i think we were doing nowhere to mourn and um bones i think uh, yeah they're both on youtube and it just kind of um you know there was a lot of um exuberance around it really i was surprised people were still bothered you know mm. um, did, um, might... and did Sorry, you I... and did it take much to get rehearsed or did you sort of just wing it a bit oh loads of rehearsals i was teaching at sprouston at the time sprouston high school and um, I was going to say the exuberance in the audience was probably the six formers that came along, actually, thinking about it because they were they were very jolly and very, you know, ooh, you know. Um, but we rehearsed at the school um, loads and loads and loads of rehearsals because, you know, sort of the time had made us all a bit rusty. And my voice, I, I just couldn't sing as high. You know, I couldn't get those really high vocals. So we had to do quite a, a lot of adjustments around that because the voice changes with age, doesn't it? Yes. You know, um, so, mm. but we did, yeah, we put a lot into that and wanted it to be a really kind of um, special reunion, which which I think it was. I was, uh, you know, looking back on that now, that, that, was, that was quite, you know, quite an event actually. And, you know, friends I've made over the years came along and, uh, did you it know. Feel, did like, it feel nice to see the, the bandmates again? Because obviously you'd had oh, a decade yeah. ago. Oh, incredible. I mean... Yeah, I, yeah, I, I mean, they've all got a special place in my heart, you know. I'm still in touch with Davey and um, obviously still in touch with Julian and, you know, um, Paul's just an incredible guitarist, you know, absolutely sort of a real wedding present guitarist, if, if that makes sense, you know, really kind of fast and indie, really, really good. Mm. Um, and Amy did a good job on bass, given that he was going in. I think he was really, he was 20 or 21, I think. So, you know, he's with this bunch of much older musicians, but he did a really good job, bless him. You know, it was a, it was a really, really good night. And then we did one more gig after that. I think that was 2007. Um, but that just didn't have the same feel. Um, and sadly, that was our last gig. And it just, it, you know, it didn't have that same buzz 
the, yes. the 2006 but it it was you know it was it was still a very enjoyable event and um, we had jenny playing bass on that who was davy's girlfriend at the time she was absolutely brilliant she just learned the bass just for the gig it was incredible did a really really good job so and that was it and that was yeah the, and that was that was that was it yeah that was the band so yeah, look just yeah. like just last question i mean if you, if you could have said something to your 18 year old self who was starting out in that kind of interesting world even though you were actually a bit older but you could have still said something to your 18 year old self what what would you tell them because you've obviously had you know you had quite a few albums and um singles and an album and, and the touring and the experience of being in a band and obviously there's things you'd probably think i would have just done a few things differently i just all all say no that was all fine don't worry just keep doing it i know i just wondered if it was anything that you would have wanted to tell your sort of 18 year old self um i probably wouldn't have gone into teaching <laughs> so um i know that's not a response to the music <laughs> question you're asking me but it kind of is because obviously teaching is all consuming and um you know it's uh, for me it was kind of either or um i what would i say to my 18 year old self i wish i'd just um you know, perhaps in all the um, scenarios where I was doing music, I just pushed a bit more to keep doing that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, we all have to make money to live, to exist. And obviously, you know, I, I was teaching as a, as a way to do that. But it, it just became a bit too all-consuming. And, you know, I wish I'd kind of... Uh, yeah, you know, just push the music more. So 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 I had you know even more experience sitting here now, and I'd had more output. But you know what? Um, I'm actually hoping to go and study music production now at the grand old age of fifty eight. <laughs> so um, and uh, you know make more films. So um, I've just recently done a fashion MA um because that's another of my my passions and as a part of that I discovered a love for making films where I use original music and so um fashion music contemporary dance and film have an equal platform yes so that's that's what I want to do so yeah I what would I say to my 18 year old self I, I don't I don't know really I, I try not to have any regrets um that's that's one thing i suppose but maybe push more for the music you know sure. just you oh. know have more output i suppose is what i'm trying to say um but yeah but it's it's not it's not something i see as a journey that's over i mean after ivy i worked with um a teacher called neil sanderson we had a band called dream operator and we wrote some i you know i was really pleased with the tracks we wrote together really really pleased and they formed the but well one of those songs is the basis of lockdown lament so, yes you know, so just um, quickly just because i um, yeah yeah just so do you want to just uh, just mention a little bit about your your latest single oh um okay so well um it was a a song that was actually penned um 10 years ago actually the tune um, I wrote it um, bizarrely on a on my phone on a guitar app, 
Um, and uh, then recently with lockdown and um, little phrases kept coming into my head alongside the melody. And it was always a melody I'd been really pleased with. And Neil and I had recorded a version of it very indie, very pared back, very bleak, actually. It's a very, very sort of bleak song, I suppose. And um, I tried to record it with Neil, but because of lockdown, we couldn't. So that was kind of like the distancing thing. And he sent me a CD. I couldn't do anything with that to make it sound, you know, reasonable. So then um, another musician that I'd been working with, um, Stephen, who's my dancer, he's put, um, he's putting a musical together. And we'd used a musician called uh, Eli Ellis. And he did the backing track, um, uh, you know, alongside the melody, um, which was more synthesised and, you know, than anything I've worked with before. Then <laughs> it's quite quite a journey. Then, um, because I hadn't recorded the vocals through a mic, um, I'm currently working at Norwich Prison in the education department, and the music production teacher, Richard Taylor, said, oh, I'll have a look at it for you. Send me the tracks. You know, it's all done remotely over the internet. And um, he sent the tracks back. But then my daughter listened to it, and she said, oh, do you know what? I'd, I'd like it if there was more sort of like layers of your vocals, like more cottosy. So it's been through a real process. Do you know what I mean? It's, yes. you know, and then um, Stephen, I actually live with Stephen. He um, lives with me here. And um, I said to Stephen, right, I want um, a film around this song. Here's your inspiration. Here's the kind of, you know, this is the sort of like this leads a dialogue, the song. And he designed an outfit, which I made, and I made some sort of outfits, costumes for the film. And the film was very much Stephen's concept. But I'm really pleased with it because I love contemporary dance. And I think he did a really good job of um, interpreting it. And he, he had this idea, he said, right, we're going to film your face just doing odd kind of words. And um, we've, I've got like a, a clothes room, I collect vintage clothes, it's one of my hobbies, and it's kind of really dark in there. And he just kind of stood on a chair and filmed me just doing sort of odd bits of the vocal. So it's it's been a real process, you know. And then um, my partner, Jerry, wanted to be in it. So he's walking down the road. And then Maddie, my friend, um, I made a couple of dresses and she very kindly got involved as well. So it was like really collaborative, you know. Yes, that's fantastic. Well, look, this is this is great, actually. Well, yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks ever so much for um, sending it because I'm just putting together. Um, the, the, this is for platform on Future Radio tomorrow, and actually, I've thankfully remembered. Um, yes, I, I started to sort of put it together. Yeah. So um, basically, yeah, I'll, I'll hopefully get it played tomorrow afternoon at one o'clock. So. Um, oh. So Brilliant. that's yes, I know it's very exciting, but I um yes, I still need to um, put it together. Yeah, I mean it's um, unbelievable putting all these kind of yes, because we're all working in our little own worlds now, aren't we? We don't sort of yeah. go into studio, which is okay because actually I sort of find that you know quality wise it doesn't really make too much difference. And um, yeah, and and because I've been doing these interviews, I mean they've always been done from from my sort of space here room here, so um. It, it's absolutely fine. I mean, sometimes it, it, it all depends on what the internet connection's like between me and whoever I'm speaking to, really. So um, yeah, it's fine. It's it's yeah. there. It's in the bag. But anyway, look, Spencer, this has been fantastic. I'm glad that we got this together, and uh, yes, 
lovely talking to you you've got an amazing kind of knowledge of like music and where it sits in politics and you know cultural referencing and stuff and and can i just say i really enjoy your shows <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you yes well so yeah well the, yeah so it's kind of interesting i sort of slightly yeah the the ones i do on a on Future Radio, a bit more sort of just playing the music, really, because I think people just often turn it on. But then I do also put these interviews out and, and do use them as well elsewhere. So it's all good, but I've sort of been building up this archive. And I have to say, people have really, they do really love it, you know, because I put I put them out there and, um, you know, I can see where people are watching, listening to them and various folk kind of get in touch and go, oh, I just listen to such and such. I mean, some people just listen to lots of them because they're interested in the music or there's just the band that they thought, bloody hell, I used to love that band. And I've just yeah. I've just felt yeah. I've just come across the interview with that person who they've never heard speak before. And they've often found it, you know, like quite amazing to hear them and um yeah, yeah. so it's uh, it's kind of an amusing sort of thing really it is it is kind of nice because it is it yeah i managed to like track down people from yeah all over the world it's kind of yeah i mean because there's no you know as long as you can t do your time time zones you're sort of fine really so yeah it's just yeah. australia's a bit tricky because it's like often i have to do it very late in late at night or very early in the morning and and a couple of people i've had to do sort of like six in the morning then go to work and think god i've just been meant to talking to a member of the go-between so now i've got to be at work trying to be quite you know like together and it's like yeah it's like jesus I, it's quite hard on the brain really but it's it's all right it's just um, yeah 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 well it's 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 exciting isn't it i mean it's like yeah i mean you know it it's music such a passion isn't it it's just yes, like i know it, it, it's, it literally is something to live for isn't it really at the end of the day it's um oh god yeah you know, absolutely it's everything, isn't it you know so um, it's um yeah and it's it has been interesting you know because because the other thing just kind of it, you know because a lot of the music that happened in the 80s i mean i only listened to bits of it which i could get you know what you could get hold of them but there were so much that actually i've sort of gone back and and sort of quite interested on a lot of the records and albums I missed the first time either I, I don't know much about them or you know you just thought because you couldn't just go and buy every record that you heard or even worse try and buy a record that you just heard or a good review in the NME because often they were rubbish the albums of the week so it's kind of you you know if it, if it wasn't played on John Peel I'd, I'd often you know miss them really so it's kind of interesting going back and and you know listening to music that I didn't hear the first time thinking God, there's a lot of really interesting stuff, really, you know. Mm, yeah. And also, you know, yeah. once you've got, there's only so much time in the day, even though you're playing records all the time. You know, you sort of stick to, you know, like you were talking about Prefab Sprout and the album Steve McQueen, which was brilliant. And you kind of played that to death. And the Smith albums, they all got played to death. And, you know, Martin Stevenson and the Dainties with that Boat to Bolivia album. And, you know, and it's like, and the go-betweens and the Triffids. And, you know, and then you think, well, I'm, you know, that's kind of what I'm listening to at the moment, as well as people like Gregory Isaacs and the Bundu Boys. And then... You know, so all those other albums that were coming out at that time, you kind of missed a bit. And then, you yeah. know, then, then you got Bleach by, you know, Nirvana and then sort yeah. of the Pixies and the Throw Muses. And, you know, and at the same time, you know, it's still missing mm -hmm. lots of other, you know, bands. So it's kind of, you know, it's good. It's, yeah. Yeah, music is kind of extraordinary, really. 
It is absolutely, absolutely. And there's never, like you say, there's never just like one thing that you're that you're into, is there? No. Um, you know, it, it can be very evocative. You know, you can, you know, walk in someone, hear something on a soundtrack, think, right, I must revisit that album. I must, you know, have a look at that artist again. I've forgotten all about them, and and that's the beauty of it, isn't it? It's it's kind of like the wonder of it, really. Yes. Oh um, God, it's been fantastic. Well, look, this has been fantastic. But thank you ever so much. And, well, thank and, you. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll keep in touch. But yeah, um, yes, I must. I just must remember to uh, to. I'll put the single at the beginning of the platform, and then then hopefully you don't have to listen to the rest of it because it's just me babbling to somebody. Um, but that's all good. But that, yeah, this is kind of the pla- the future radio um, arts show. But I will tell you it kind of roughly when it exactly it's on. Then you can go. Oh, what does it sound like on the radio? And that'll be all very exciting. Yeah. Oh, it's really exciting. It'll be really, really nice um, to hear it played like that, to be honest with you, because it's been such a journey. You know, it's really been at one point I'd kind of given up and I was just getting really, really upset with it, you know. Um, but but now that it's done and I'm actually pleased with it, I'm actually and the film, I love the film. So, yeah, it's it's been a labour of love, but it's been worth it's been worth the. Uh, the toil. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, all these things are, aren't they? But but look, this is fantastic. We'll have a great evening and and, and, and stay safe for the year. And hopefully we'll all come out of this smiling, hopefully. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, yeah. Times. anyway, take care of yourself and, and uh, you. all the best. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take That's care. Right. Bye-bye. 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 And that was me in conversation with the singer of Ivy, Spencer Harrison. A big thank you for giving me the time for that interview. This has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do at C86 Show. And also all these interviews have been archived and you can find those on Spotify, iTunes and Podbean. So there you go. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.